So I've been reading a lot of fiction books in the past year, and I've been particularly drawn to a genre that I haven't read much of before, romance. It feels a little embarrassing to say because it's a genre that often isn't taken very seriously, but I have been loving it. And one of the things that I love about romance novels is that you know from the start how it's going to end. By definition, there is always a happy ending. There's tension and conflict along the way, but I'm held by hope through those difficult scenes because I know the ending. Catherine Center, a romance author, describes how all stories have an emotional engine that drives them. And the fuel for that emotional engine is anticipation. For most novels, that anticipation is negatively valenced. So something like dread or fear. Think of a thriller, for instance, that keeps you on the edge of your seat because you feel like at any moment things could fall apart or explode. In a romance, however, the driver is positively valenced anticipation, a sense that you're moving towards something better, even if there are terrible things along the way. In a word, the driving force of a romance novel is hope. You are led through the heartbreak and the challenges, holding on to the hope that things can and will get better. And our story with God is a romance. In fact, it's the romance that all other romances draw inspiration from. And I hope that you understand that I'm not trivializing the very real challenges of this world, but I am uplifting the amazing power of hope. Hope is not a frivolous thing. It's profound and powerful. And we have hope because the good news of God is that God has won the battle with evil and death and did so because of God's unfailing love for us. We can move through the hills and the valleys of this life with the sure hope that we will be together with God, our love for eternity. This is the ultimate happily ever after. So let's dive in. This story is the beginning of Jesus's ministry in the Gospel of Mark. So far, John the Baptist has preached, baptized Jesus, and Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. That was all in the first 13 verses. Mark moves fast. His ministry is described as proclaiming the good news. This is what Jesus does through his words and actions throughout the Gospel. And here's something cool. The word for good news, euangelion, in the Roman world typically meant the good news that either followed the birth of an emperor or victory in battle. I'm going to repeat that to make sure you got it. In Roman times, if someone was proclaiming the good news, euangelion, the content of that good news was typically the birth of an emperor or victory in battle. And the good news that was preached by Jesus was both. It was an announcement of the birth of an emperor and victory in battle. The good news is the birth not of an earthly ruler or emperor, but the king of kings and the lord of lords, 
the infinite God choosing to dwell among us and take on flesh in the person of Jesus. The good news of God is that the Messiah, the anointed Savior, has come in Jesus. God is the love interest in our romance, and coming in the person of Jesus is the grand gesture. God is unfailingly faithful to us, even when we is unfailingly faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to him. God will never leave us or forsake us. The good news is that God is with us. And moving on to the second way that the euangelion, the good news, was used in Roman times, through Jesus, we have victory in the battle with evil and death. This battle is described vividly by Mark. Just one verse prior to what we read today, Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness and attended to by angels. This is a striking description of the wars of the spiritual realm, the conflict between good and evil, hope and despair, life and death. The good news is that we have victory. The conquest is done. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. Even though we still experience the effects of evil, despair, and death, just like Jesus experienced the temptations of Satan in the wilderness, Jesus proclaims to us that the battle is already won. Just like in a romance novel, we know the ending. God defeats evil and death, and a new heaven and a new earth are coming, where Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning will be, and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And after saying that Jesus proclaims the good news, the gospel says that Jesus saw Jesus saw Simon and his brother Andrew, and that he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. He saw them. And the Greek word here can mean just seeing with your eyes, but it can also mean something deeper, just as it can in English. I see you. I understand you. It's seeing as a form of knowing, of loving. Although it may sound like an oxymoron, I went to some rowdy a cappella concerts when I was in college. <laughs> Alumni of the group would often sit in the front row, and during particularly spectacular moments of the performance, they were the first to jump up and shout, I see you, as a word of encouragement to the singer who was soloing. It's more than just seeing someone with our eyes. Jesus doesn't just catch sight of the disciples. He sees them. He knows them. And he sees us. He sees you and knows you and loves you. This type of seeing can be scary because it requires a response. Do you avert your eyes, pretend that you don't see, or do you repent and believe? After seeing the disciples, Jesus invites them. He says, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. 
The invitation to follow him is an invitation to learn from his wisdom in the way that one might follow a rabbi to gain instruction. But primarily, it's an invitation into relationship. Come, be with me. Live life in a new way with me. And their response is to drop their nets and follow. One commentator describes this moment as very much like falling in love. The disciples are taking a leap that is from the heart and not from the head. Jesus does not make an intellectual proof to them about his theology or a pro-con list about why they should follow him. He just says, follow me, and promises to give them a role to play in the kingdom of God, to fish for people. We don't know if the disciples had seen or heard him preaching prior to this, their hearts opening and hoping day by day, or if this was their very first encounter with Jesus. But we know that they responded. They immediately left their nets and followed him. In the romance novel, this is the yes that changes everything. When was your first yes to Jesus? When you dropped your nets and followed him? What did that feel like? And maybe God is calling you to say that yes again, or for the very first time. In this good news of God's love for us, the battle is won. The King of Kings has been born. He sees us and knows us. This God who laid the foundations of the earth and determined its measurements loves us so much that he came to us and sacrificed himself as a grand gesture of his love. God, who is love, sees you and says, follow me. With God, even though we experience the very real challenges of this life, we have hope. Because we know that the good news is that we have the ultimate happily ever after with him. Amen. Please join me in the prayers of the people. Merciful God, you continually call us into the deep 